Hi, I'm Sean McCambridge, Managing Director of Stellar Recruitment. Thanks for joining me on this journey to uncover the secrets of inspirational leaders. The reason I put this together is to share the unique journeys of these successful individuals and really unpack how they've achieved success and hopefully inspire others to do similar things. So thanks for tuning in and listening, and I hope you enjoy the series. Thanks for joining us today as part of the Stellar Recruitment uh, Inspirational Leaders podcast series. Uh, I just want to kick off with you perhaps giving the listeners a bit of context about the size and scope of your current role as Managing Director of Wyndham. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. Yeah, I currently run uh, Wyndham for Asia Pacific. I oversee uh, two of their divisions, their hotel division and their vacation ownership division, or some people may know it as uh, timeshare. Uh, just maybe, maybe to give some further context, Wyndham is a, a publicly listed uh, New York-based company. It's the world's largest hospitality company with three distinct divisions, the leader in the hotel division um, with over 7,000 hotels. Uh, the vacation ownership uh, business has over 1 billion owners uh, in that division and their Wyndham exchange and rental business. So... I'm fortunate enough to uh, be given the honour or privilege to oversee uh, uh, two of the divisions, the hotel division and the vacation ownership division for the Asia-Pacific region. And currently our business generates about $300 million, uh, roughly, give or take. We've got about 5,000 uh, employees and we'll generate about $88 million in EBITDA. Wow, yeah, significant business. Obviously, that's where you are now. I want to go back to where you started your, I guess, career in the industry. I believe it was in Dunedin, and that was coming off the back of an entrepreneurial family that had a, a range of businesses, but some of it in, the, I guess, the holiday space. But uh, what was your vision when you sort of kicked off as a young person running, I think, that small hotel in, in Dunedin? Well, I, I suppose, rightly pointed out, I've got to take it back to you know, the early days and, you know, my family was always in business. My dad owned, you know, furniture factories and then for whatever reason uh, sold them and, and moved into the hospitality business and, and bought a hotel up the top of the North Island of uh, of New Zealand. So, you know, at an early age, you know, service and uh, entrepreneurial focus was sort of ingrained into us and, um, you know, I was... I was you know, sent off to boarding school to, to get the appropriate uh, education while, you know, mum and dad worked hard within the family business and we'd come up and work during the holidays. And then and then I went overseas to do, you know, hotel management diploma at William Angus School of Hospitality. And, you know, cut a long story short, I, you know, I bought a, a business myself in Australia, had that for several years. And then actually went back into the hospitality industry and that's when I went back and um, joined Quality Inns New Zealand Limited in Dunedin. So that was my my corporate tasting of the hospitality industry outside sort of a family business scenario. And how did you go about, you moved into your current role at, uh, you know, I think the relatively young age of 38, you're only a touch over 50 
now. How did you go about building your career to be given that opportunity to become managing director of, of your, your current role in Wyndham? Uh, you know, right time, right place, a little bit of luck. But I think, you know, ultimately a lot of, uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice, you know, not only for me but, but for my family. So, you know, we spent some time in New Zealand, obviously, at Dunedin, and then I, I went up and ended up managing... Um, the quality in New Zealand's limited procurement and ran a hotel at the same time. And then I was offered a position over in uh, Indonesia in Jakarta, which, you know, um, when I was first called about that from a, an ex-CEO uh, that I'd worked with, I actually didn't know where it was. So I had to have a look on the map and figure out, you know, where it was. Uh, you know, the furthest I'd been is Australia overseas. So going to live in, you know, at that stage, a third world country uh, in Indonesia uh, was not only experience for me, but also an enlightening one for my wife. And, and I think that sort of defined us because, you know, a lot of people may not have taken that leap of faith or that move. So we went from there, uh, we spent some time there, and then I was offered a job in China. This was in the early 90s. And I thought that was going to be easier than Indonesia. And, it, you know, that was probably one of the best learning curves. It was, you know, hard not only for myself to, to teach her tolerance and patience, but also for, for my wife. So I think, in short, you know, we've worked well as a team. She's supported me uh, well without her being flexible and without myself being flexible. I probably wouldn't have been able to... You know, have the opportunities that I've had. I mean, with this role, it was probably because of my breadth of experiences that, you know, at such an early age, I was given the opportunity to take on this business, which was, you know, reflection was quite small when I first took it over. Paraphrasing some of that, I think your willingness to look at taking opportunities off the beaten track would have been pretty easy to stay in New Zealand, but you're prepared to go to some unique locations to, to get that experience. I think it was a big one. But I think also without the support of your wife, Lee, you may not have had that sort of support from a home front to make all this possible as well because obviously it comes with a lot of sacrifice and, and hard work. So I think there's two, a couple of key uh, points out of that. I know that you're a very driven, uh, competitive and determined person and you've got a big focus on, on achieving excellence and doing a great job. I know you've taken a, a, an ongoing approach to self-improvement. Uh, however, you haven't necessarily gone down the... Uh, traditional academic route uh, to executive uh, appointments. Was it a conscious decision? And in the absence of that, has it provided any challenges or hurdles? I don't know if I'd do it again. <laughs> I mean, I, I got, I got, I got away with it, so to speak. I think, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't a, a big uh, academic achiever. I didn't have a great focus on academia in school. You know, I enjoyed the comradeship. I enjoyed the sporting aspect. I was always challenging some of their, their learning methods, so to speak, at an early age. Um, and I think as you've seen now through, through schools, there's different ways that, that pupils you know, learn better um, and take things on better. So, you know, did I not want to finish my diploma at William Anger School of Hospitality? Uh, no, but an opportunity came up and I bought a business at that stage and I was very entrepreneurial focused. But, you know, in saying that, I've, I've attended, you know, some great universities after the fact. So I've done some executive courses at Wharton and, and Harvard, which have been fantastic for, the, you know, for, for my stage in life now. And, you know, and I, 
promote that. You know, with my kids, I promote. Nowadays, I think it's different. You need, you know, not one degree, maybe double degrees or two degrees. You know, but also in saying that, and what I look for is I look for attitudinal recruitment. You know, language skills and communication skills are big, so I had to teach. You know, when we were in China, you know, I had to start to learn Mandarin in China and Indonesia. We spoke Parsa Indonesia. So communication is still key. So would have I liked to have achieved more academically? Yeah, I think so. Can I turn back the clocks? No. But, you know, you know, like everyone, you have different achievements. What, you know, one thing I'm relatively good at, and that's, you know, listening and redefining myself, you know, continual self-improvement. That's something that I try to communicate to, to my team and my staff. You know, you spoke before about my wife, and that's probably the other key component. You need to have alignment in your life. To achieve to exceptional levels, things need to be aligned because you can't afford to have those extraordinary pressure points. It's just a distraction. Um, and that's when I see people really achieving when everything's aligned. Absolutely. And, and maybe uh, there's a hint of what we've just touched on in the next question, but has anyone in particular shaped you as the business leader you are today? And if so, how? Look, I think you know, a lot of people, you know, obviously my dad at an early age because I've, I've, I saw how hard and how focused they were especially service and, and people focus. I mean, we had, there was zero tolerance at home for us not answering the phone or going to greet a guest or something like that. We all had to dig in and help, you know, clean rooms and, you know, work in the restaurant or bar. So, so, so we're taught those, those basic work ethics at a really early age whether we liked it or not at the time. But, you know, in reflection, that was probably, uh, you know, some good grounding and some good learnings. Um, and then, you know, going, you know, through my career, there's, there's other, call them corporate-orientated people like uh, Suri Onik, uh, Sir Clifford Skeggs, who, you know, are, are great achievers in their own right from the South Island of New Zealand. Bill Moss from Macquarie Bank over here in, in Australia. And that's more... I like to pump those type of people for you know their history and you know what they've done and how they've achieved it and and the best thing with the ones that I've associated with with for a long time is their humbleness and humility and Sionica and Sir Clifford Skeggs will always pick up the phone for me you know at that stage I was I was you know a 28 year old a, a general manager of a hotel really insignificant in the schemes of their you know, multi-million dollar businesses. Um, but they had the time to chat about business. They had the time to, you know, chat about life. And that goes a long way. Absolutely. Just taking that a step further, how would you define your own leadership brand? Continually evolving. Continual self-improvement. I mean, I do have reasonably high expectations. Um, you know, I have some basics that, you know, hate non-responsiveness. I don't like bureaucracy. I don't like people playing games. I think, as my wife said, you know, in her um, comments about me, is you know that I sort of demand loyalty, and I actually give loyalty as well. Um, and and demand's probably a, a, a too heavy a word, but you know, I think it's common respect. And you know, you'd like people to treat you how you should be treated yourself, right? And um, so those, those basics um, are things that I think about all the time. I 
you know, also, I think as we get older, we change and we reflect on, on things in the past. You know, in the early days, I didn't used to write personal development plans. I didn't used to write family plans. Or, you know, I'd wing it, so to speak. But I'm very methodical in the last 10 to 12 years on formulating my plan at the beginning of each year, reflecting throughout the course of the year. And again, they're just disciplines, you know, disciplines to hold yourself um, accountable. I, I like to ask people around me that are close to me when I'm, I'm conducting meetings or speeches or whatever, how do you think that went? How could I improve it? And I think if, if you've got that in you, I think you'll continually advance than yourself. Less about a career and more about you as a human being. I want to ask you a bit about what you look for in the executives that report to you as part of your key leadership team. Yeah, look, I think it's all of my employees. So I've gone a lot deeper in our recruitment regime and what we do and don't do and the process. The process is, some people can say it's arduous, but we, we've developed a profiling tool, which, which is a, only a small component, but it gives us a little bit of insight to someone. We conduct committee-style recruitment processes. So if it was an executive that I was recruiting, for example, and it's a little bit less further down, but, but still the same, similar process, I would have probably two external members, depending on the discipline I'm rec- recruiting. I would have an internal committee made up of some of my executive team, some of the next level down, and some EAs. And this person would go through the HR process through first, and then would probably go through five to six different interviews. And then the, the final three would get to me. And then I would sit with the group and interview them as well, because you know, they would also listen to what I'm asking. And so... I'm sort of answering that in a roundabout way, but we really want to give people insight to who we are and what our culture is, as well as trying to find out more and break down their barriers along the way. So I'll be asking my receptionist, hey, how did you interact with that person or how that person interact with you may be different to when they hop into the boardroom with us. You know, there's some basics. So the basics is attitudinal recruitment. You know, what is the attitude? How are they, as far as from a, because we're in the hospitality industry, are they generally hospitable? As far as, again, depending on the discipline, so if they're a lawyer, they've had the basic credentials, but the main thing is how are they going to fit in culturally with me and do they have those human traits that I believe we should have? And I say it's our business. Unfortunately, it should be all businesses, right? Because even if you're in a construction business, you know, people want to work for people that are genuine, hospitable, got great integrity, and that's some of the things that we try and push through our business. Absolutely. What I'm picking up there is transparency is pretty important, obviously, for you uh, of the individual that you're looking to bring into the team, but also to expose and be transparent in terms of who you are and who your business is so the individual gets a good look at you as well, which is great. And I think the other thing is customer service. And I know you're a massive advocate and one of the early adopters of looking at the customer experience. How have you gone about driving this through such a large business to get a consistent experience and culture? I mean, as you touched on before, big business. How do you achieve that? 
Well, it's over time. I mean, we're not there yet, and I don't think we will ever be there to where I, I would like it to be because, you know, we just keep on lifting the bar. But I think the initial commitment we made was for me to recruit someone that sits on my executive team that's across all customer touch points. So it doesn't matter whether it touches someone in finance or consumer finance or in construction or whatever, they are handling all all points and they are driving the way that we conduct ourselves. And we're going back through the business and redefining our service levels with this customer experience team. So we have a team, there's two components of this team. One, one component is the analytical component that's measuring all of the KPIs that we have in there. And the other component is a development team. And the development team's out there analyzing, measuring, and then helping the individual teams, whether it's a hotel or a, a, a service center or a consumer finance team, implement the new structure and new philosophy. And sometimes that means changing people out. And within that, you, you create the service levels, so the expectations, you define what, what best practice and customer experience looks like. And then how do you sort of replicate that on scale? Is then about building systems and structure and have that, those support people to, to, well, to achieve that? The thing that I think sometimes we do wrong is that we come up with a strategy and when you try and roll it out across the entire business, it's very hard to get and buy in on a larger scale before it's a proven entity, especially if you're changing something, you know, dynamic, dynamic change. And so what we're trying and what we think works for us is we're doing case studies. So we're out there, for example, trialling one resort, perfecting it. And what tends to happen is then people look on and, and once it starts to become successful, you don't really need to push it. There are People are asking, hey, can you implement this out in our resort next? Because we've seen the results. So you've got to, you've got to really... Uh, so, so, so I like to try and keep it simple, keep it focused. Um, and, and that's what we're doing. So it takes a little bit longer. Um, but I'm not a big believer in writing the manual, posting the manual out to the teams and saying, here we go, this is a new philosophy, please implement. Uh, I think it's an absolute disaster. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a smart way to, to look at that process of change because, yeah, if you're courageous enough to roll something else across a company that's got 5,000 people and you get it right, that's great. But if you continually do that and you get it wrong, then maybe the business starts to lose a bit of confidence but to, to choose a, a resort in isolation, nail it, create a case study and use that as leverage to, to replicate that across the, the group once you've perfected that or got it pretty close to, I think it's a smart way to, to look at that process of change. So that's awesome. I want to sort of shift and, and ask your opinion around, you know, you've worked for large multinationals as you are now and you've you've been entrepreneurial, you've started your own businesses in the past and obviously your father and family was very entrepreneurial and successful. What have you taken from both environments? Mm. You know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I think that's still in me and I've run the business from an entrepreneurial perspective, I think. You know, that's good and bad because sometimes people can think I'm a little bit more fluid than the typical corporate person. But touch wood, over the last 15 years, it's, it's, you know, it's given good, good results. But also, you know, I bought you know, corporate disciplines and, and I think there's a balance. I think sometimes, you know, in some of the corporations, they start to get bigger, you get, it gets too bureaucratic and, you know, you lack 
your movement and it's a, a little bit like getting older as a human being if you don't keep up your exercise and keep your movement all of a sudden you become less flexible and sometimes that's what happens with organizations and, and they stagnate so you know i'm still very passionate about our business i think the day i lose passion then i, I need to sort of exit out of it but there's lots of opportunity for us up in asia it's a dynamic business and with having so many different levers um and, and being able to modify things you know, I've been fortunate enough that you know, some companies managing from afar can manage and have a stranglehold on the organisation and micromanage. And I think that stifles the business. Fortunately, I've built up enough confidence that they've realised that we're two time zones away and that we communicate well enough with them, keep them informed on what we're doing and being able to produce the results. And I think that's given not only me, but you know, my team you know, great energy and great life. Absolutely. And I think, you know, back to the original answer you gave, oh, I think you've harnessed your entrepreneurial flair and DNA into a, a corporate business, but you've also had that necessary governance to support a business that's of the size that you're at, but you haven't let that sort of slow the growth of the business down. And I think just touching on that, that to give the listeners a bit of context, you're at circa 300 mil turnover now and with a fantastic EBIT, but where did it start? At 38, what was the turnover? Oh. Circa. I think roughly we were doing like 10 million or 15 million and you know maybe making a million dollars profit or something like that or then, one point, 1.5 there you go so, so obviously the, the mix between the process and structure and governance be harnessing that entrepreneurial growth focus I think that's something I admire about you you always think about how to grow clearly that's uh, resulted in where you are now uh, they say resilience is a key attribute of successful leaders can you quote any challenging situations or phases in your career that you've had to navigate and how you managed to get through that? Going back as far as China, I mean, that was a, a challenging situation. It was in the early 90s and managing, you know, two parties. I had uh, the first automobile works, which I owned at Audi and Volkswagen manufacturing plants in northern China and the Lion Group out of Malaysia. And then I had two, you know, deputy general managers that are supposed to be training that were 50 something and I was like 28 or 29 something and then they sat on the board so that was my first real you know exposure to interesting dynamics as well as learning you know culture language and there was still you know communism was still pretty prevalent in those days and then I think the bigger the next biggest one was actually moving into this business uh, because I didn't run both hotels and timeshare when I first joined. I just was you know brought in to take over and grow the timeshare business, and I had a vision for it. And it was a lot different than the folks that were in the business. And you know the timeshare industry has been around for years, and so trying to make you know major changes in direction and philosophy. Um, was quite challenged to a lot of people, and also I was, you know, I was seen as a young CEO. And maybe, you know, if I look in in balance, I was trying to move too quickly. Mm. I was too aggressive. So these are some of the the learnings I've had. Um, and then the, the 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 next biggest one was, you know, financial crisis. So leading into the financial crisis, um, two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. You know, property prices were incre- increasing. We're trying to buy property. We're struggling. Financial crisis hit uh, November two thousand and eight, uh, and and we had we had a loan 
of $230 million that expired in March 2009. And normally we would just uh, leverage off our corporate big brother in the US and uh, they would facilitate the funding of that. So our relationships with myself and my CFO weren't extensive with the banks because we didn't need it in those days. So we had uh, we had a call from the States saying, hey, listen, you need to raise $230 million before March next year, otherwise uh, we may not have a business down here in, uh, in the South Pacific. Um, so, you know, besides that, like everyone else, we had to redefine the business. So I think prior to Christmas, we had to lay off um, just under 500 people, which, you know, which is not a pleasant exercise because it become a matter of numbers, not, you know, they weren't all bad employees, you know, most of them were really, really good employees, but it's just a, a case of redefining the business. So that, that was a real difficult time. You know, fortunately, we came out of that you know, shining. In 2009, we grew profit by 38%, re-employed some of the people that we'd laid off. So retrospectively, some of those actually had a little bit of a windfall, and, but it, wasn't, it was never a way that you'd want to do it. And we sort of never, never looked back. So timeshare for me is resilient through good times and bad times. But is it just timeshare or is it the team that we had and we were able to forge our way navigate our way through through that period and from there on we, we sort of haven't turned back we had double digit growth every year from a leadership point of view it was a hell of a challenge but you got through it you probably learned a bit from it and, and arguably the business is in the shape it is today yep. through some of those tough learnings so i'm going to ask you about uh how you create sort of work-life harmony as, a, as an ambitious and busy person i think i've got better again if i reflect on myself you know, a lot of learnings, and I try and communicate this to my team as well. I, in the early days, I wasn't as good a father as I should have been because I was more focused on, I don't know if I was more focused on the business, but there was things that I could have done smarter to spend time with the family. I could have been at a dinner shorter than I was. I could have been at a cocktail function less. Was it vital I was there? And, and it's a real balance because some of those things, you, you know, that's what defines you as a different person or a different leader and gives you the opportunities. But I think, I think making those priority decisions, being at those key sport events, being at the critical learning times um, for your children, or at least when you're there being focused and engaged, you know, in the moment, as they say. And that didn't really take place until my oldest was maybe 10, 9 or 10, when he actually um, told me that uh, I was going to go to one of his rugby events. And, and he, he turned to me and said, oh, well, Dad, you know, never really turn up to anything. So, you know, don't, don't worry about it. It's fine if you don't come. You know, that was a turning point for me. Now, that's 11 years ago. And I think I've made it up with him. My younger one got the benefit of that. You know, try and reorganise my calendar. I also, you know, make sure I've got time out there for myself. There's case studies out there that are saying if you allocate your time, you need to have 50% of the time for yourself and then 25% of the balance of the time for your family and then the 15% for your business. And they say if you get that first two parts right, business actually turns into like 70% mm -hmm. just because of the, the productivity that you have. Yep. And I think that's, that's true. More religious in 
you know, my health aspects, you know, doing my surfing. In the morning when I'm in town, if I'm not in town, I'm going to the gym. I've got yoga that I'm doing now. I've had a, a nutritionist come through because I think I'm, I'm slipping again to, you know, to give me a, a plan. And it's not only for, for me, I've actually offered up this for my executive team as well. So again, back, getting back to what I started with in the beginning, you know, again, you've got to have self-alignment. You know, you've got to be happy, happy in yourself. And I don't think you have to be extremes, but having a good, healthy body and, and doing some things to clear your head is important to having a good focus in business. 100%, mate. Couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. I'll also share that. I want to move to the lady behind the man. And uh, lucky enough to know Lynn, she's a tremendous uh, lady. And, and obviously, you, you touched on before, you're fortunate that she's been at your side and supporting you on the journey. How would she describe this chat? Hopefully, I, I think she would say committed and focused, definitely, is key. She would say I'm a people pleaser. I mean, I'm, I like people. You know, I like, I like to build relationships. I like to think that if I can, if I can help out someone, then I'm doing well, then I'm doing something good for someone. I think those type of things, you know, satisfy me as well. You know, and sometimes the family sacrifices for that a little bit. I think... Um, she would say that, you know, I'm loyal and dedicated to those around me because obviously she hears both sides of what goes on. So she would say that I've, you know, I've changed as I've got older as well. She's obviously seen the ups and downs and the emotions. You know, a lot of that got to be attributed to her, you know, dedication and commitment and tolerance level because, you know, obviously she's had to have supported the family while I've, been on the road for half the year or more and she's done a fantastic job with that so I'm you know fortunate to uh, to have Lee as my partner. You've got a, you're an amazing career, you've got a great lifestyle, um, you've got a beautiful family and you've achieved uh, a lot more than most people um, would ever dream of achieving. What piece of advice would you put in a letter if you were to write a note to that 21 year old starting out on your journey? I think make sure you're in the right industry. And something that you're passionate about and that you enjoy doing. I migrated out of this industry and I've migrated back in. And because I'm passionate about service and about people and excited when I receive good good service too and I like to you know, reward those people. But you know, nothing comes easy and it doesn't matter how many degrees you have, how many languages you speak, you do have to go the extra mile and there will be some sacrifices. And I think, you know, people that, well, 90% of the people that are successful have had to sacrifice along the way and have gone the extra mile. Would my wife, you know, in reflection, have said, hey, Barry, to go and live in China for two years or three years? I'd love to live in Indonesia for four years in the early 90s. I'd love to be away from my family and live up in Asia for 12 years. No, but... Fortunately, she's been supportive of me. We've worked well as a team. And, you know, all of those sacrifices have built up to sort of round me, give me different exposures and different learnings, which has increased my, you know, personal brand value and offering to either my own business or to another business. Just picking up on that a little bit further, how, how would you currently define success? What's success to you? I mean, success is continually evolving for me. You know, I have milestones, but, you know, my main focus is developing the team and the people around me. And I get great excitement out of 
see my people grow and develop at, at all different levels. So I do a lot of mentoring within my business, both structured mentoring and non-structured mentoring. So, you know, I sit on a few charity boards and I've been involved with FSHD for, you know, the last eight or nine years. So, you know, the future is to afford the time to be able to give back and educate people and help, you know, direct people into greater success themselves. Just in, in rounding things up, Barry, what's left to achieve? Where do you want to take your career from here? Well, I think I'd like to continue to evolve our business, to leave a legacy of creating something dynamically different. And you know, we're building business and our human capital to where originally, I say originally, GE used to be. You know, our business from where it was 14 years ago to where it is now and the type of human capital that we're attracting and the people that are wanting to come to work for us is sort of defining that we're moving in the right direction. And am I there yet? Not quite. Have we got some interesting stuff happening? Yes. And have we got some dynamic people working for us, some um, you know, unbelievable people and, and even people that have dynamically changed in themselves over the four or five years that they've been there. And, you know, also people say that longevity sometimes is not good in a business, but, we, you know, we've got a lot more people that are 10 or 20 years within our business that probably fresher than when they started. Mm-hmm. Certainly from knowing you for a reasonable period of time, Barry, you've, you've inspired me in a bunch of different ways. Obviously, your business uh, success speaks for itself. Uh, you're a great mate. Uh, I love the fact that you've got a, a lot of balance in your life. You continue to stay fit and healthy, and, and I think your energy, I think your energy grows with age. So I think that's a great thing. So I appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. Congratulations on what you've achieved, and, and all the best for what comes next. I, I, I look forward to watching it all. Well, thanks for having me on, uh, Stella. It was, a, it was a disappointing you didn't make the surf with me this morning, but I have one up on you. <laughs> that's it, mate. I'm sure we'll find a time in the near future. So ho- hopefully it was a good surf. But thanks again for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks, Sean.